Welcome to The Catholic Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts for today's episode, Chloe Langer, and I am joined by my regular co-host, Joe Heschmeyer of Shameless Popery and Holy Family School of Faith. This Lent, during our Lenten series, we've been meditating on the Stations of the Cross. We are only a few weeks away from celebrating Easter, and so far we've talked about the condemnation of Christ, the taking up of our own crosses, and the falls of Christ and the falls of man. This week we're getting to know the women of the way. Women play a special role in Christ's journey to Calvary. So again, we're tapping into the wisdom of Cardinal Ratzinger and his meditations on the way of the cross at the Colosseum in Rome on Good Friday back in 2005. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. From the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is spoken against. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. And his mother kept all these things in her heart. Luke chapter 2. On Jesus' way of the cross, we also find Mary, his mother. During his public life, she had to step aside to make place for the birth of Jesus' new family, the family of his disciples. She also had to hear the words, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is brother and sister and mother. Now we see her as the mother of Jesus, not only physically, but also in her heart. Even before she conceived him bodily, through her obedience she conceived him in her heart. It was said to Mary, and Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. He will be great and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And she would hear from the mouth of the elderly Simeon, a sword will pierce through your own soul. She would then recall the words of the prophets, words like, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb that is led to slaughter. Now it all takes place. In her heart she had kept the words of the angel, spoken to her in the beginning. Do not be afraid, Mary. The disciples fled, but she did not flee. She stayed there, with a mother's courage, a mother's fidelity, a mother's goodness, and a faith which did not waver in the hour of darkness. Blessed is she who believed. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yes. In this moment, Jesus knows, he will find faith. In this hour, this is his great consolation. Just like in our previous episodes of this Lenten series, we'd like to invite you to take another listen through that meditation. So rewind a couple minutes and pay attention to any themes that stick out to you when listening to this passage about Our Lady and her interaction with Christ on the way to the cross. If you're more of a reader, you can find this meditation in our show notes at cathpod.com. There are several themes that both Joe and I picked out of this series of the stations involving the women of the way. And one of the themes was Mary's courage during her son's passion. Ratzinger wrote, she stayed there with a mother's courage, a mother's fidelity, a mother's goodness, and a faith which did not waver in the hour of darkness. 
When reading through the other Stations of the Cross that involved the women of the way, a second theme that we found was this idea that evil cannot be trivialized before the example of the suffering Christ that he gives us on his way to the cross. Ratzinger wrote about the danger of our being found guilty and without excuse on the day of judgment, which reminds us of the part that we must play to combat evil in today's world. We're going to be talking about combating evil in today's world with the women of the way later on in this episode, but first, let's talk about Our Lady and her suffering through the Passion of Christ. Our first guest in today's episode is Simka Fisher. She's a familiar voice on the Catholic podcast. Simka has been on to talk before about natural family planning, and you can find that episode in today's show notes. But this week, we asked Simka back on the show for our Lenten series to speak into her experience with Our Lady, especially Our Lady of Sorrows. Yeah, so, I mean, I think like a lot of people, I grew up surrounded by statues of Mary and, uh, you know, beautiful note cards of Mary and very sort of lyrical, uh, well, as you say, unapproachable, untouchable images of Mary, where she looked sort of almost like a like a fairy, or <laughs> as if the statues of Mary were what she actually looked like in real life, that she was that she was kind of a statue, that she was there, you know, literally up on a pedestal, and that, you know, we were supposed to imitate her in some sort of abstract way, but you know, when it came down to real life, when you were sort of in the in the trenches of living your life, um, it, it seemed completely unattainable, and it almost seemed like um, if I went to Mary with my actual problems and with my actual suffering, um, she would be like grossed out, <laughs> like she would want to <laughs> back away from me the way I would back away from somebody who would come at me all messy and dirty and looking looking for help and looking for me to for me to comfort them. So um, it, it, it took me a while to get over that sort of visual mental block of thinking of Mary as, as unapproachable and thinking of her as so uh, so unbridgeably different from the rest of humanity that she couldn't really understand and didn't really, didn't really know what it felt like to be actually human. Because I got very caught up in the idea that, well, she was the Immaculate Conception, and that meant that she didn't sin and that meant that, as far as I understand it, she wasn't tempted to sin. And that was so bound up with my understanding of myself and my spiritual struggles were all about being tempted to sin and sinning. And if she didn't have those things, you know, how could we possibly even speak the same language? So that was something that it took me many years uh, to get over. So uh, I, this is something that I've given a, several speeches about. Actually, I had a very... Um, um, unforgettable experience where I was having an extremely tough, difficult year where every, pretty much every possible thing in my life was going wrong. <laughs> we were, we were losing our home and there was a possibility that I had cancer and I had an unplanned pregnancy and my husband lost his job and our car was broken down and I had to move in with my parents and I was back in my terrible hometown and, and it was winter and everybody was sick and it was just the worst in every possible way. <laughs> And it was it was sort of a rock bottom moment, which brought me to pray to Mary, which is something that I wasn't in the habit of doing for for whatever reason. And I remember saying like, "Oh, everybody says you're so helpful. Everybody says you're my mother. Everybody says you're here to help me." And I I I I, I prayed the actual words, "Who do you think you are?" <laughs> sort of my flurry of Connor moment, standing out in the field, shaking my hands at the heavens. Who do you think you are? And it was one of those moments where I actually got an answer in my head. I got words coming into my head, which seemed to me supernatural. 
And what I heard was, I'll tell you who I am. I'm somebody you can leave your kids with. And that made me, it sort of sent me down a path of realizing that this is somebody who absolutely I can trust because this is what this is what we mean by somebody we can leave our kids with when we're mothers. We mean that somebody, somebody who will understand who our children are, somebody who will understand what our needs are, somebody who understands what we want for our children and who can accomplish the things that we want for our children. You know, whether we're talking about a pediatrician or a babysitter or a teacher, somebody if we leave our children in that person's care, then this is somebody that we have reason to trust, that we have absolute reason to trust. So um, so that sent me down the path of realizing that Mary, despite all of her differences from all the rest of humanity, um, except for Jesus, <laughs> was a real person, a real actual human being and a real actual mother. And the things that seemed to me to separate me from Mary, that, that I was so used to, you know, the idea of original sin, the idea of temptation, the idea of the daily sins of everyday life, these are things that I was thinking made me human, and since Mary didn't share these things, then maybe she wasn't really human either. <laughs> it sounds silly to say it in so many words, but this is what I was sort of feeling in the back of my mind. But I, I came to realize that those things, these are not the things that make us human. These are the things that keep us from being fully human, really. So, and I thought of, I thought of the image of, uh, I thought of the image of being in, uh, being in the Civil War, and I thought of having um, a mother standing up on a hillside looking down and seeing a battlefield in front of her and seeing people fighting each other very, very brutally. And that this was a mother who had children on both sides and that her children were actually fighting each other. And I thought, a mother like this, maybe she's not actually involved in the war herself and she's not tempted to be on either side and she's not tempted to be fighting herself. But this doesn't mean that she's not emotionally involved, and this doesn't mean that she doesn't care about it. <laughs> and when I thought about it in those terms, I realized, well, Mary is that mother. She's looking down at the world and seeing us fighting each other and harming each other and, and going against our own family, which is the family of man. And this is what sin is actually like. So if we say that Mary doesn't have sin and doesn't she isn't subject to original sin, she isn't subject to temptation, that does not imply that she's not involved in the battle <laughs> and that she doesn't care about the battle and that she doesn't understand the battle. It's really just the contrary. In fact, she sees it more clearly than we do. Because if we could see the ugliness of sin and how much we're hurting each other and how much we're hurting ourselves when we sin, that would be seen more clearly, not less clearly. And Mary does have that vision. So once I began to realize that, I realized, well, you know, this is something that I do have in common with Mary because as a mother, when I see my own children suffering, when I see them being attacked, when I see them attacking each other, when I see them attacking somebody else, this is something, this is when I'm sort of at my best. When you, when you are a mother and you see one of your children in trouble, this is when it's the easiest to put aside um, all the temptations that we're subject to. You know, I'm not going to, if one of my kids is in trouble, I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to be, um, you know, any of the things that prevent me from helping somebody because it's my own kid and who do I care about more than my own kid? So, you know, if, if one of my kids is sick, I will stay up all night and take care of them. If one of my kids is being bullied, I'm not going to worry about my reputation. I'm going to dive in there and take care of the problem. 
So this is how it is when one of our children is in trouble. This is when we're at our best as mothers. I mean, obviously, we can go overboard <laughs> as sometimes happens, but um, this is absolutely when we're at our best and when we're at our most selfless and when we're at our most courageous is when we have to dive in and rescue one of our own children. If we, as human mothers who are subject to original sin, are so willing to put our own well-being and our own concerns aside to take care of our children, imagine how you would feel (laughs) if the child was the only blameless person in the entire world who was Jesus. And I mean, I'm willing to defend my kid, even if I know he's being kind of a punk, you know, he's still my kid, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to take care of the situation, and I'm going to do my best to to right any wrongs that there have been and to protect the people who need to be protected. And Mary was there. She saw her son being scourged. She saw her son carrying the cross, and she saw him being crucified. And she knew with this vision, with this clarity of vision that she had, which was more clear than any other vision in the entire world, she knew that her son didn't deserve any of it, that this was the most unjust thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, that that Jesus, the blameless, spotless lamb, would be tortured and that he would suffer and die. And And she had to stand there and watch it happen. And there wasn't anything she could do about it. So that was sort of a long rolling moment of realization that Mary is not Mary is not separated from us because of her immaculate conception. She's not separated from us because of her sinlessness. Um, on the contrary, she is sort of deeper in the heart of suffering than any of us. And when we and when we suffer and when we see people suffering. Um, that's when we're actually, or at least can be, closest to Mary because she is shared in that in a way that, you know, I only begin to understand more and more as I, as I, as I get older and as I understand, well, as I begin to understand just who Jesus is, you know, the more I get to know him, the more I understand how outrageous the crucifixion was, how completely outrageous and unreasonable and just, I mean, it, it, it should have, it should have torn the globe in half when it happened instead of just tearing the the, the temple veil in half. The entire universe should have been ripped in half. And this is something that, as I grow closer to Mary, I see more and more. The other part of this story is that we understand that the universe wasn't destroyed when this happened. In fact, the universe was, was knit back together. This is this is what this is what Mary did when she suffered through this, when she saw this happening. And she came out on the other side and she saw Easter morning as well. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to cover in, you know, in a short podcast, but Mary is in the center of all of it. Mary is in the center of every experience that we can have as parents and just as human beings. Ratzinger speaks into Mary's experience on the way of the cross, praying, We beg you, teach us to believe and grant that our faith may bear fruit in courageous service and be the sign of a love ever ready to share suffering and to offer assistance. We asked Sibka to talk about witnessing the suffering of others and how her relationship with Our Lady encourages her to offer assistance. It's one thing to suffer ourselves, but it's another thing to watch other people suffer, and I think that's something that a lot of people have trouble with. Um, When they're struggling with their faith, a lot of people are willing to take on suffering themselves, but they have a much harder time um, living with the suffering of other people, especially people that they care about and especially people who seem innocent to them. 
and I think this is a place where we can really where we can really find Mary because if anybody understands that she she understands that she lived through it she came out the other side this is it's 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 one of those things that can either separate you from God or it can knit you closer to God depending on how how deep into it you're willing to go I guess the disciples fled, yet she did not flee. She stayed there with a mother's courage, a mother's fidelity, a mother's goodness, and a faith which didn't waver in the hour of darkness, Ratzinger wrote. We asked Simka how Ratzinger's meditations on Our Lady's courage and fidelity impacts our lives as Catholics today. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of, one of the hardest parts about being a mother is a sense of helplessness. When you realize that as soon as your baby is born, you you know what he's in for. <laughs> you know you're not going to be able to shield him. When a baby is first born, usually one of the first things that they do is cry. And you always want, you want to comfort them. I always tell them, it's okay, it's okay. It's, there's some good things out here. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a strange thing. I mean, I, I have 10 children, and that's the first thing that they always did was cry. As a mother, you want to comfort them. And yet, as a mother, you know that you're not going to be able to comfort them. And really, what you're preparing them for is to leave you and to leave to leave whatever safety you can offer them and whatever shield you can offer them. And this is the fundamental experience of being a mother is wanting to protect them and at the same time knowing that you're not going to be able to protect them. Really, the only way that you can get through it is not to leave <laughs> and to always stay, to, to be in a place where, you, where your children know that they will be able to find you. And sometimes that is literally the only thing that you can do. Um, while praying, of course, it's not as if we're alone. I mean, this is the whole point of it is that we're not alone. We have Mary and we have Jesus. But I think this is sort of the fundamental experience of motherhood and probably just the fundamental experience of love in general, of human love, knowing that the people that we care about, there, there's only so much we can do. And I think that idea of um, steadfastness and fidelity and knowing that safety doesn't come from us, safety comes from God. And oftentimes it's not here and now, it's something that we have to look forward to. And I think that was, uh, I mean, that's the first thing that Gabriel told Mary was that, you know, your son will be called, you know, wonderful counselor, almighty king, prince of peace, but not now, <laughs> sometimes sometime in the future. And that it was, the, you know, that it was the Holy Spirit that would overshadow her that would, that would have to make her to conceive and it would also make Jesus to come into his kingdom. So, um, I mean, this is the fundamental act of love is knowing your powerlessness and staying there for it anyway and, and, and letting it happen and knowing that it's God who saves. You have to be there for it, but it's God who saves ultimately. <laughs> So that's something that I think of a lot when I when I think of Mary. She she was there. She was there through all of it, and she lives on long after her son went back up to heaven. And she she stayed there through all of it to be there because that is at its root what love does. It doesn't leave. And sometimes that's all we can offer. This episode of the Catholic Podcast is about journeying with the women of the way as they accompany Christ on his path to Calvary. In the eighth station, Jesus meets the women of Jerusalem who weep for him. Ratzinger writes, As we contemplate the suffering of the Son, we see more clearly the seriousness of sin and how it needs to be fully atoned if it is to be overcome. Before the image of the suffering Lord, evil can no longer be trivialized. To us too, Christ asks, Do not weep for me, 
weep for yourselves. If they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? One area of our lives where we've seen evil trivialized is the subject of human trafficking. The idea of one human being enslaving and selling another human being has been around since the dawn of time. But what happens in our technologically advanced and what we like to think of as an enlightened society that we live in today, people tend to forget that that type of thing continues to exist in our world. And slavery exists whether we recognize it or not. Joining us for a conversation about human trafficking in today's episode is someone who is very aware of the situation of human trafficking, especially in the Midwest. I am uh, Deacon Brad Sloan. Uh, I'm currently assigned to Mother Teresa of Calcutta Catholic Church in Topeka, Kansas, in the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. We asked Deacon Brad to paint a picture of the current situation with human trafficking that we're facing in the United States today. To give uh, you and, and the listeners an idea of the scope of the problem, human trafficking in worldwide is a $150 billion a year business. And those numbers are from 2017. I don't have the 2018 numbers yet. You know, most of the time when we think about trafficking, trafficking today, we think of the sex trade. But labor trafficking is very much a part of that. Um, you know, servitude, uh, people that come to the United States with a lot of hope and dreams of a better life, and, and, uh, and they find themselves enslaved in a, in, a, in a labor situation. But to get back to the sex trafficking, because that's the, that's the one that, that seems to really, really pull at everybody's heart, you know, because it's so cruel. And, it, you know, it's one of those things that we just have a difficult time understanding how that can occur in our society. But the average annual income of a sex trafficked individual in the United States is $100,000 a year. And that's just one individual. So if you have a trafficker who has five or six individuals um, working for them, enslaved, and that, that that person then is putting out on the streets uh, and selling them to sex slaves, you know, that's $600,000 a year income. And that's certainly something that's not monitored by the IRS or anything like that. So that's untaxed income. The big difference between, you know, like the drug trade and the, the trafficking trade is that uh, when you're talking about drugs or weapons or anything else that you might sell, it's kind of a, it's a one-time thing and then it's done. And then you have to produce another, another product in order to be able to sell it again to another buyer. With individuals, with human persons uh, in, in human trafficking, they can be sold over and over and over again. In fact, the average lifespan of a sex trafficked individual is about seven years once they begin to be trafficked. Human trafficking has been reported in all 50 states, and so it's, it's not something that's, that's particular to large urban areas. It happens almost everywhere. Uh, there's a video that I use in, in one of my presentations. It's called Chosen. And the young lady uh, uh, that's interviewed is an A student uh, from a small rural community who was working as a, as a waitress and, you know, got lured into the trade. You know, it can, it can happen to anybody. Unfortunately, in the United States, especially in this part of the world, in, in, the, in the Midwest, in Kansas, people tend to have uh, these blinders on. Well, you know, we're kind of agricultural still. 
Um, our largest urban areas are like Wichita and Kansas City. And yeah, that stuff might go on there, but it doesn't go on in my little, you know, small town, my little bedroom community. When in reality, it goes on everywhere. We asked Deacon Brad to speak into his personal experience with ministering to victims of sex trafficking, especially here in Northeast Kansas. I kind of fell into this ministry. Uh, For the last 10 years, I've been a part of a team of individuals here in Topeka. It's called the Capital City Outreach Team. And what we do is each week we are out on the streets and we visit homeless individuals in their camps, uh, you know, uh, out on the streets, just wherever we might find them. What happened was um, several years back, as we were doing this outreach, uh, when it was still kind of relatively new concept here in Topeka, we began to run into certain individuals uh, on the streets where we kind of, you know, in talking with them, we, we would kind of think to ourselves that, hmm, there's a little something extra going on here that we couldn't quite put our finger on. And um, within about a year, we developed a relationship with another uh, group of people, a ministry here in town. It's called Alden's House at that time. And what they were doing was they were they were outreaching trafficked individuals, females in particular, that uh, were being trafficked in the sex trade, uh, working to help those individuals get off the streets and things like that. We began to collaborate with them. And over time then, they became a part of uh, the Topeka Rescue Mission, or TRM Ministries, as they're known here in Topeka. The name changed to Restore Hope. And so we had kind of a two-pronged outreach uh, that was occurring here in Topeka uh, from that point forward. And one of them, the one was aimed at homelessness, the other one was aimed at individuals that were trafficked. And so they worked very closely together. I was like a lot of people that I talk to on a regular basis in that I wasn't really aware that, that a lot of this was going on. Oh, you know, sure. I heard stories from people about women uh, being prostituted and, and uh, things like that. And, but it wasn't anything that you just that you saw on a regular basis. I mean, it's not like you drove down the street and saw a clump of people hanging out on a street corner that were obviously trying to sell themselves. Um, it wasn't anything like what you see in the movies. And so I was, I was, I was blind. Being a part of this outreach just opened my eyes up tremendously because we began to find individuals in houses and other places that were definitely being sold by other individuals. My regular day job, so to speak, my, my secular job is I'm a program manager at the local alcohol and drug treatment center here in Topeka. I've been here for about 15 years, and um, the women that have come through our facility, um, probably upwards of 96, 97% of them have, at some point in their addiction careers, traded sex for drugs. And that is, that's trafficking. That's, that's being trafficked, whether they made that decision themselves or someone made the decision for them. Uh, either way, it's, uh, it's considered human trafficking. As far as personal experience, my wife and I, um, we've, we've been involved in, in a few rescues um, over the years, um, but um, that the largest majority of that isn't, is handled by other individuals. But a couple of years ago, 
um, for a couple of months over the summer, we had an opportunity to to shelter an individual who had been trafficked and had been rescued out of that situation. Um, since that time, she had and she had a little a little girl also, a little two year old that was cuter than a bud. And uh, but anyway, she spent a couple of months with us over one summer while she was trying to kind of get things back together. She was originally from the Boston area and ended up here. Um, she followed her boyfriend. Um, her boyfriend came out here. Um, I don't know if he was looking for work or whatever. They produced a child from this relationship. But when the economic uh, times got tough for that for them, he talked her into starting to sell herself in order to bring in extra money. Then when she refused, that's when it got physical and it got violent, and he began to beat her. Fortunately, we were able to rescue her out of that situation before it got extremely bad. Um, but she spent a couple of years uh, in, in that uh, situation. She spent a few months with us, and, and during that time, she was able to uh, reconnect with her family uh, back east, and she has since moved back there. And um, by all accounts, seems to be doing very well. Callings are, you know, callings are funny in that a lot of times you don't know what you're being called to. You just know that you're being called to something greater. You know, my, my hope and prayer is that I can bring that mercy that we just talked about, that mercy of Christ on the cross, bring that mercy to each individual that I come in contact with through this ministry. So many of them have not experienced what it means to be loved, uh, truly be loved um, by another individual, let alone um, by their maker, you know, because the, the individuals that have used and abused them get in the way of that, of them, of the, of the victim realizing that love. We learned from Our Lady and from the Women of the Way the importance of steadfast courage in the face of evil and suffering, as well as our role in recognizing the reality of evil in today's world. We pray that this episode has given you comfort in knowing that you're not alone in your suffering, but also we pray that this episode has inspired you to take action against the evils that we're facing in today's culture. So let's close this episode with a prayer. Holy Mary, Mother of the Lord, you remained faithful when the disciples fled. Just as you believed the angel's incredible message, that you would become the mother of the Most High, so too you believed at the hour of his greatest abasement. In this way, at the hour of the cross, at the hour of the world's darkest night, you became the mother of all believers, the mother of the church. We beg you, teach us to believe, and grant that our faith may bear fruit in courageous service and be the sign of a love ever ready to share suffering and offer assistance. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Catholic Podcast is an initiative of the Holy Family School of Faith Institute. To find out more or to see how you can contribute to our mission, check out www.schooloffaith.com.